Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create. We speak to the smartest people from across the advertising industry to find out what they love about it, what they hate, and what change they want to create. Hello, our guest today is Armando Turco, and he is the Executive Creative Director at Oatsley. He has also worked at Fox Media before that. He spent five years there as the GM of Fox Creative and then also as the SVP of Content. And prior to that, as well as a couple of other roles, he spent most notably over eight years at BBH, uh, primarily in the client services unit, heading up that in New York. Um, What's really exciting for us on Love Hate Create is that Armando is the first client, if you would even call yourself that, um, that we've had on the show. So we're really excited to talk to you and learn all about what you love and what you hate and what change you would create in the industry. And then also all about the in-house creative team that there is at Oatly that you're part of. So welcome. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting. Great, Amanda. So I'm going to kick us off um, with the first question, which is very broad. Um, and we'd love you to answer it um, in full three parts. What is it that you love, hate, and what change would you create within our industry? Um, great. Let's do this. Uh, what do I love about the industry? Um, I love that. I love that when the industry is at its best, uh, it is applying creativity to solve big problems, whether that's through technology or through ideas or even sometimes through advertising. Um, I think sometimes the creativity part of it gets gets brushed aside, but but again, when we're doing it right, um, we're using our unique powers of creativity to to tackle some really big problems and ideally to create some progress um, and behavior change and do all the things that we need to do to, um, yeah, to make the world a slightly better place. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. What uh, do I hate? What do you hate? Yeah. So many things, Charlotte. No. <laughs> Go for it. This is the juicy bit. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't hate so many things. Um, yeah. I think, I think one thing that I, that I hate that I, that, that I hate even more since I arrived at Oatly is 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 kind of how easy it is to stand out um and how easy it is to make your work stand out and, and by that i mean i think that a lot of the work that that brands do um across various media still to me kind of looks the same and maybe, maybe i'm just old and i've been in this industry for a little bit too long um and so i've just looked at too much stuff and it all starts to blur after a while um but i think there's just a lot of sameness i think a lot of that is is sort of perpetuated by increasing levels of dependency on on data and on measurement and um the obsession over roi which are all important things i think and really valuable inputs but like they kind of can perpetuate this fallacy that there's such a thing as like best practice or like a formula um and i think part of the trick of being successful in this industry is knowing like when when do you follow the formulas when do you break them um when do you disrespect them outright um but also like just remembering that difference is sort of key to success above, above all else. Um, and I just find it hard as I'm looking at work all the time from other brands um, and across the industry to find stuff that like truly feels like it's never been done before or truly feels like it is um, having a little bit of fun and taking the piss out of like some of the conventions. Um, so that is definitely a thing yeah. that I hate. And what would I create? 
I don't know that there's like an off thing that I would create. Um, I guess I would say I would like create a mindset shift, maybe sort of back towards it. If, if ever this was such a thing, um, the primacy of creativity, um, you know, this will be like an ongoing theme throughout our conversation. Um, and I know that we all sort of identify as, as creative people and, and naturally are doing some pretty good creative work. But I think a lot of times it gets lost in the process and it gets lost in the KPIs and it gets lost in a lot of other competing priorities. And um, I find it fascinating, especially after having been at Vox, you know, in my role at Vox, I would see literally thousands of RFPs from hundreds, if not thousands of brands a year. Um, and you could read them. And if you just put your hand over the name of the brand, they all kind of sounded exactly the same. And it was always a little bit alarming to me how few of those RFPs were actually putting creativity at the top and actually asking um, the most of the creativity of Vox or or any partner um, to sort of really bring that. And uh, that's concerning. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think create uh, maybe not. I don't I don't have any brilliant ideas for uh, technology um, or IP or anything along those lines, but rather like just create a mindset shift. What are some of the steps you think? Say say you're in the the shoes of one of those thousands of clients that were sending you RFPs when you were at Vox Media. What are some of the steps that you think they should be taking then to just put creativity at the heart of that? that process and those briefs that they're thinking about and sending to companies like Vox. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, this might be like an oversimplification, but I think talent has a lot to do with it. I think, um, hiring the right people, hiring people who are obsessive about creativity, hiring people who are not afraid to take risks, not afraid to break rules, who are going to really like, uh, sort of uphold the principles of creativity and remind everybody every so often when it feels like you're veering off course, what's important. Um, uh, versus what might be urgent or what might be a box to tick, um, on a, on a report. Um, I think in, 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 as part of that, uh, diversity of thinking, um, should come from diversity of people. Um, and so, um, in thinking through like, how do you infuse more creativity through talent? We have to be thinking about how you infuse more diverse talent. And I, I, I mean that in the most obvious sense, um, in terms of, uh, you know, having, um, an array of different identities and personal experiences that can create healthy tension and bring different perspectives to the work that we're doing. Um, especially these days when a lot of the work that we're doing is attempting to address some pretty serious social issues and you can't address those social issues properly if you don't have people who have lived those experiences on your team. Um, but also just people who come from different backgrounds. You know, I've had, I've had on my teams, people who were former gymnasts and uh, psychologists and uh, came from all walks of life. And often those people you would find were bringing the freshest thinking to yeah. to the work, even though maybe there's like a slight learning curve um, because they don't understand the process or the practicalities of the business. But like, that's the easy stuff to learn. And did they make an immediate impact? I'm really interested in this. Like the, when you hire a gymnast, a psychologist, are they able to come in and do, you know, immediately change the culture make you more in you know make you a little bit more creative a little bit different to how you were before do you think yeah i think i think sometimes the most immediate impact that they can make is just by asking questions yeah. that like they probably think are dumb questions um or are, are naive and ignorant if only by virtue of the fact that they don't 
really understand the discipline. Um, but sometimes that can be the most helpful thing because the thing that you think is a dumb question might be a question that no one else in the room has ever thought of. Um, I, I, I have been myself, uh, in those shoes, for instance, when I moved from agency world over to Vox media and my, and, and my role at Vox media kind of functioned a lot like an agency role. Um, and my part of the organization functioned a lot like like an agency, but I didn't really understand anything about the media business or how media businesses made money and like how the sort of editorial side of the house operated. And for the first six months, I was, I was the guy who was asking a lot of stupid questions. And luckily it was a culture that, that sort of embraced that and, and welcomed it. Um, to the point that like, after a few weeks, they were like, Armando, stop prefacing your stupid question by saying, I'm about to ask a stupid question and just ask the question. Um, so I think to the extent that we can encourage that, uh, from, from new people or from people who were sort of moving in sideways from, from other, you know, trades or, or disciplines or, or, or careers, um, the better off we'll be. And so yeah. you've been at Oatly now for a year. I think it's really interesting that you made that shift having worked at a creative powerhouse agency like BBH for a really long time, gone to a mass media company for want of a better term perhaps, and then going to an actual brand. What made you make that move or kind of excited you about that move? Or were you not excited? Do you, did, you, did you want to have a change? Tell us about that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the brand itself, uh, was a huge draw, the brand, its people, its culture, and all the things that comprise the brand, um, was a, was a really huge draw. But for, for a while I had, I had been sort of contemplating my next move. Um, and I would say, you know, probably two things. First, the opportunity to, to go and work for a company that was truly creating some meaningful change in the world and like doing a thing that, um, having an opportunity to participate in a thing or in a business that, that maybe helps you sort of rest a little bit better at night when you put your head on the pillow, um, uh, was, was sort of like, uh, one criterion that I set for myself in terms of what I was going to do next in part, because a lot of the work that we were doing at Vox with various brands, um, was quite meaningful, um, and, and quite, quite purposeful, um, for, for a long time, uh, in my last year or two there. Um, and secondly, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the guy or, or the gal as it, as it may be. Um, uh, in the sense that for my entire career, whether it was at agencies or at Vox, um, I had a client, uh, and I was like, I'd like to go be the quote unquote client, even though I'm not really the client because we don't work with many agencies, but I'll, I'll, I'll sort of get into that, but I want to, I want. I want to, I want to have the opportunity to control my own destiny and the destiny of, of my brand. And I want to move faster and, um, yeah, uh, have a little bit more ownership, uh, over, over the process end to end. Um, yeah. You wanted to walk a mile in those shoes and walk a bit faster than some of the clients that maybe you'd worked in when you were in it. Yeah. Space. You know, you, you can only like, you can only go so long with you get that you get that next round of feedback in the email and you're like shit i can't take this anymore like i want to be the one you want to be the feedback. one giving the feedback so yeah yeah we have to talk about the department of of mind control then at oatly is it as much fun on the inside as it looks from the outside <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty fun it's pretty fun yeah the, the one thing i hear most often especially from like friends in the industry is like i'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room um yeah, it is very fun. Um, and I think because it is so fun, 
um, we get to better work. I mean, we, we truly like what, what the, the biggest filter for the work is like, does it make us laugh? Because if we don't love it and we're not laughing, then probably no one else will. Um, or does it inspire us or does it provoke us? Um, or does it make us scared? Like, and, yeah. and truly, I think, I think a lot of companies say that, but like, that is the conversation that's happening all day, every day, as we're, as we're thinking about what we're going to do next. Um, it's hard, you know, because, uh, like, it's very easy to say, we're going to put creativity at the center of everything, we're gonna take risks and we're going to be fucking fearless, mm. um, which is the actual terminology that we use. But, um, doing those things, once you get into it can be very difficult. So I won't say it's, it's without its, it's without its challenges. Um, yeah, that's but yes, it is fun. Uh, what are the challenges then you say it's because I would imagine like you've said, you have to keep, um, almost playing devil's advocate with yourself, right? Is this funny? Because you don't want to be in an echo chamber of drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, we're wonderful. This is great. Right. As a creative, you constantly have to keep yourself in check. Um, is that the main challenge? What other challenges are there then around being fucking fearless? Yeah, there's the challenges around quality, as you said, which is like, um, you know, we like to say that we're consistently inconsistent, right? And so you kind of set that bar for yourself. And that means that every next thing you do, you want to feel a little bit different from the last thing you did. And like that, as we all know, can can be hard to pull off. Um, and also just making sure that like, to your point, again, we are, our, our heads are not like so far up our own asses that like we're, we're, we're kind of missing, we're, we're becoming toned out in terms of how people might actually respond to the work. Obviously the bigger challenge is like, how do you sort of balance, um, humor and like X factor and entertainment factor with what is ultimately always no matter what we're doing or what side of our personality it might be it might be projecting um meant to be delivering on a mission on a mission that is a very difficult mission for us to pull off which is ultimately to convert as many people as we can we like to say 50 percent, but that's kind of an abstract number from cow's milk to plant-based foods or 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 plant-based or, or, or oat milk specifically um and um that does present an interesting challenge. And I think humor is a tool that we've used. Um, the other thing that's like interesting to me is like, uh, in, in the sense of this is like, uh, an ongoing challenge in the sense that it presents like an ongoing kind of question for us as we're, as we're working through the work is like, sometimes you don't have to talk about the mission to achieve the mission. Like ultimately we want people to convert, but, uh, and we know why it, it's because it's, it's better for people and it's better for the planet. But you don't necessarily have to talk about the fact that it's better for the planet because some people may not, that may not be what motivates most people. And so there's also this kind of ongoing challenge of like, when do you, when do you lean directly explicitly into the mission versus just, um, uh, leveraging your, your charm and your brand voice or, or, or more functional attributes, like it tastes great or it works really well in coffee. Um, and so that's also like an interesting, um, a, a thing that is like, uh, always on the hamster wheel of creativity. And, and how do you guys keep yourselves honest in the sense of not kind of doing that kind of work that, you know, matches your own kind of previous style and the kind of work that you've done that was successful in the past? How, how do you, how do you protect against that? Like, do you guys use testing methods? Do you you do your own research like how, how does it work 
There is no taste. Really? I was guessing that. <laughs> I was guessing yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I'm like, I wish there were a little bit more testing. Um, no, we we honestly don't don't rely very much on testing in part because we we haven't had to because it is a brand that people are, are really tuned into. And so they're very forthcoming with their opinions, be that on social media, uh, be it sort of directly in 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 sort of uh engaging with us over over email and and other means um we've got a finger on the pulse of like a lot of the communities that helped us build the brand in this in this market in particular uh with the coffee community and the barista community and spend a lot of time with those people um who obviously have an ear to the ground in places where it really matters in terms of people who are talking about why they're drinking oat milk or what they're preferring or sort of what's coming next um and so that that all kind of helps it's a it's a, it's kind of a chaotic and informal sort of process of just like collecting all the signals. I think the other thing that's really important is like having a point of view on who you should be listening to. Um, because a lot of people have a lot of things to say, especially when you're a brand that likes to push buttons, um, and sort of not being afraid of the negative feedback and in fact, embracing it. For instance, we just launched, uh, a site called fuckoutly.com, um, which is basically our attempt to kind of like condense in one place, all of the most recurring sort of quote unquote conspiracies uh or or uh bones that people have to pick with Oatly and kind of try to set the record straight or at the very least just like clarify our own point of view. Obviously doing that in a very cheeky way. Yeah. Um and 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 to that point it's like, you know, to go back to your original question, it's like we want to listen to those people too, right? Because we want to know why people hate us. Or we want to know at least um when people aren't reacting exactly the way that we want them to react and, and embrace that, but also listen to the communities that helped us build our brand, listen to the people that are our most loyal fans and followers among them, like vegans. But even in that case, it's like, we're, we're very, um, decidedly not a brand that is exclusively for vegans. And so we kind of take with a grain of salt, sort of what we're hearing from that community too. Um, which is not to say that like, we don't love the vegans, but we also don't expect that, um, everyone who drinks our product is going to be a hundred percent vegan. And if they, and, and if we did expect that we would never achieve our mission of converting 50% of yeah, milk drinkers. Yeah. It's a very emotive subject, isn't it? I mean, it I is. drink Oatly all the time. It makes a banging cup of coffee, by the way, Oatly barista. Um, yeah. Thanks for your business. Pleasure. I spend a lot with you. <laughs> um, and in fact, it's almost, there was a point where supply couldn't meet demands. It was sold over pandemic. You don't say. Oh my, well, it's got better <laughs> now recently, but there was a point where Much. I could not get Oatly Barista. Um, but yeah, it, it, I was gonna say about the social listening piece, cause I know you don't do testing, but I, it feels to me like the community that you almost have a dialogue with the community on the packets, on the, you know, it, it's very personal. So it, is there a balance, I mean, of, of how you talk to different people and and vegans of course who are obviously very passionate about your product how much do you listen to them um do you say um, them we do yes we do and of course we have I, I say there's no testing i mean particularly when it comes to the content and the creative work and when we're making big decisions about like our messaging strategies there's not a whole lot of pre-testing for sure and then of course we look at like um, the dashboards and we have various tools in place. Um, and, and that sort of helps us quantify things. But again, a lot of the, a lot of the decisions that we're making are based on instinct, which we're taking from like more of the kind of quote unquote qualitative feedback that we're just getting from 
the people, right? We also have like an exceptional community management team. And this goes back to the, the talent, um, uh, sort of piece that we were discussing a little while ago, um, who do really, I mean, truly understand they live on the platforms. They are engaged with people to, to the extent that sometimes I, myself, I'm like, I don't know how you do it. Like you're like, it feels like you're in constant contact with anyone who's engaging with us on Instagram and now on TikTok, which we just launched a few months ago. And like now even some of them are creating their own content because they understand the platforms most intimately. And we said like, yeah, sure, go for it. Um, so so uh that is a is a font of like information and um those folks are constantly hitting us up with even just like anecdotal like look what this person posted or look at the celebrity who was seen carrying our product or look at this hate mail that we got via via email email because this person thinks we should fire our copywriter um or even like from a product innovation perspective we get a lot of feedback from people going hey when are you going to launch a blank? When are you going to launch a half and half? When are you going to launch a whipped cream? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's to a certain extent, it's, it's, it's both art and science, I would say. But that's the power of the brand, isn't it? You've earned that right to have the two-way dialogue with the community and of course, build the community by doing great creative work and having a great product. And there are lots of businesses out there and brands out there that probably ship as much product as you guys do and sell as much product as, as you guys do. But when it comes to advertising, no one's talking yeah, to that. Yeah. Because they don't feel like it's a brand that they can talk to. It doesn't have that kind of personality. So you've got to tip your hat to the, the creative work there, surely, because the persona, the brand, the tone of voice, the 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 management of the community, like you say, your colleagues are doing a great job has has enabled that so yeah kudos i'm really interested to to know how you think the kind of in-house mate model and the department of mind control as you guys call it is something that other brands are going to emulate more and yes we've seen kind of shifts between agencies i'm sorry brands taking uh, creative in-house, but that's quite often a, a production unit, isn't it? It's it's a cost-saving effort rather than a creative effort. But I feel like there's a shift taking place again now, maybe driven a little bit by the recession, which makes it more of a, a finance thing. But what do you think? Do you think this is a, a, something we're going to see more of from, from brands and, and clients? Or do you think that you guys are a bit of an anomaly and that no one's ever going to quite nail it the way you guys have because you definitely set a standard. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, firstly, like it's hard to kind of look at it in a monolithic way. Like I think no two in-house agencies or any agency for that matter are kind of made alike, right? It all sort of depends on the company and sort of what is the charge of that particular group. Um, in our case, um, it's sort of less radical that we do most of everything we do in-house from media to creative to everything else despite we also work with um great partners at phd uh from a media planning and buying perspective um on on many many things um intersport is our sports activation and um sponsorship sports marketing uh partner and and they're really great so uh, but for the most part 95 percent of the of the stuff is happening in-house but um i think most many in-house agencies are still and this is probably like a very long assumption to be making, but in my experience, from what from what I from what I've seen, 
are also kind of operating still as agents to a client, even though it's just an internal client, right? Like to the product team or to a marketing team um, or to uh, yeah, various stakeholders throughout the company. And truly the ODMC is its own client, which is not to say that like we don't we don't sort of take inputs and gather insights from and have like a ton of very collaborative strategic, uh, do a ton of collaborative strategic work with our commercial team and our innovation team and our leadership and what have you. But like ODMC was set up quite intentionally to be pretty autonomous. And in exchange for that, in exchange for the power to make decisions about what are we going to say, where are we investing um, in in the content, where are we investing in the media, um, and and ultimately, like, how are we bringing the brand to life in the world? We have to take a seat at the business table, and we have to intimately understand, like, what is like what what does the market look like? What are the market dynamics? What is the competition doing? How does everything from pricing and promotion and product sort of play into um, play into the goals of the company, um, so that we can make those better decisions? And I think as soon as that kind of contract falls apart, then like we're not really holding up our end of the bargain. I think that's a very tall order for a lot of companies, especially companies that have already that are established companies, right? Who have already established a lot of dependencies, not just on agencies, but on advertising and on performance marketing and on um, e-commerce and just like any number of that. Like for us, it's quite simple, right? Um, and so we don't really have the structure is simple and the strategy for the most part is simple. While yes, we are consistently inconsistent and we do a lot of different things. Um, ultimately for us, the product we're making is, is, is creative work. Um, and, uh, I think it would be hard for a lot of companies to unravel that. You do see really good examples. I think at some bigger companies of, of quote unquote in-house agencies, um, that I think are quite focused on specific disciplines. And I think you'll, you'll continue to see a lot more of that where like there's a specific skill set that makes more sense to do inside like content creation, right. Um, or content marketing at scale. Um, or performance marketing, mm. right? Um, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be hard. I think the ones that will start to do it more are the smaller companies. I mean, you see this at Liquid Dash, who you know is I know right now a, a darling yeah. of the industry, and it's kind of cliche to talk about them, but they're wonderful. Um, who I believe are doing a lot of their own work, and then even just anecdotally, I, I've I've talked recently to you know people are interested in the model of the ODMC because it is so different. So a lot of people come to me and they ask me like questions like you're asking me like how does it work and do you think we could do it too and most of the people that are coming to me to ask those questions are from smaller companies who still have a blank canvas and are very interested in maybe like pursuing this route as opposed to pursuing um yeah. uh, a slightly more complex ecosystem of various agencies especially as things become more project-based you'd have to rewire from scratch wouldn't you and like you say Oatly obviously the the director of the MC um, it, he's you have to be on the board I'm guessing to in order to have or have a seat at that table to really influence that the overall strategy and make it a culture of creativity I mean I have seen big companies have have appointed CCOs now I have seen a bit more of that but um, yeah it'd be very different to to talk to one of those as well to find out the different challenges yeah it seems um, to be working I can't take too much credit for it um this is a this is a model that that was well established before me, but um, yeah, I'm I'm still, even though I've been here a year, some days I still feel like I'm looking at it from the outside in, um, and it fascinates me. And and it's also just um, yeah, it's obviously a great opportunity to like figure out how does it work in the future as we scale, right? Because it's a lot easier to say we're gonna 
maintain this model and this degree of control and um and we're going to do it all ourselves when you are of a certain size i think already we're starting to see like as the business grows and as we scale globally and we diversify into different platforms and mediums and uh, even just our marketing mix becomes a little bit more complex. Um, there may come a time where we go, oh, actually, you know what? Somebody, somebody else can do this better than we can, or at the very least, we should get a, we should get another opinion in the mix. Um, but, uh, that, that happens kind of few and far between still. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank one of our sponsors. Massive Music is a global music agency and partner for some of the world's leading brands and agencies. With 10 offices worldwide and over two decades of expertise, they deliver everything you need in the field of music, voice and sound, from sonic branding and activations to music for commercials and licensing. Just to name a few, Massive Music works with clients such as Heineken, Nike, The North Face, Philips and Colgate. They also provided the music for this very podcast. On top of being a lovely bunch, they're an official sound partner for brands on TikTok. And since 2021, they're part of Song Trader, the world's largest B2B music company. Their ultimate goal is to combine musical craft with strategy to elevate your project or campaign through the power of music in sound, which, if you ask us, is oh so needed in the advertising world of today. If you're interested, send an email to lovehatecreate at massivemusic.com so they know you came through us. Needless to say, they're all ears. And do you guys handle production as well? Or is that when you do end up kind of outsourcing? I say outsourcing, but like working with partners. Or do you have your own in-house production, say for like a TV ad? Are you, are you doing that yourself? Or are you bringing in external directors and, and producers, cameramen and women? uh we have we have a great production team yep um also a lot of our creative directors like are in some cases just like making their own stuff and like i mentioned before even our, com- our community managers are sometimes shooting content for tiktok right but when it comes to some of the um yeah when it comes to some of the higher production value stuff or some of the bigger campaigns certainly we're pulling in um if not you know production companies um then then commercial directors um but even in those cases we tend to work with the same people pretty consistently um like it's 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 a hard again i know every brand would say this but like i think oatly is an especially hard voice to crack and so once you've found somebody who like really gets our sense of humor and our and our style and our look and feel um you kind of hold on to them and so we sort of look at those people more as like an extended family um, than necessarily like vendors, right? Um, but yeah, certainly um, there's a there there's a lot of people, some of whom don't work for the company, that are contributing to to the work and to the company. Yeah, of course, for sure. At at the start of our conversation, you talked a little bit about talent and the need for kind of diversity from a, a an ethnic perspective and also a neurological perspective. One of the challenges that most in-house agencies, uh, I imagine, face and what I've sort of observed is that they find it hard to find talent that wants to come and work on a single brand. I imagine you guys don't really have that challenge. No, <laughs> no. no, we don't. I mean, firstly, we're we're still a relatively small team. I think people would be surprised to see how how few of us there are on the other side of the like on the other side of the ad um for, for good reason right um 
we're small by design ish. Uh, How many? Um, can you tell us? Um, you know, I don't even know that I would have the most accurate count like globally, but I would say it's no more than like you know a few dozen. Um, here in the U.S., my team is 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 relatively small, small certainly can, can compared to my team at Vox, um, mm. which is closer to like a hundred people. Um, we're only about fifteen or twenty on any okay. given day, right. um, and that's across everything, right? That's that's media design, yeah. copywriting, creative direction, production, yeah. project management. Um, so it it's quite Lean it's quite change. flat. Yeah, sometimes I, I I say like I've got I've got one of everyone. Like, but that's pretty much it. Um, and obviously that'll, that'll grow over time too. So I think in, in that kind of an environment, like obviously, um, we're not, you know, we're not maybe hiring as, as quickly or as many people as a lot of other companies are doing. And so it, it might be a little bit easier, um, for us, but certainly we get a lot of interest in, in the brand, um, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. Proof, it really proof is. there that you don't need tons of agencies with offices all around the world and thousands of staff to to scale a brand yeah again i go back to what i said like it's not it's not a monolith right like i think some companies some companies do need that right um and, and i don't i don't i don't claim that like our way is the best way um but it certainly works very very well from us and i think there's a lot for people to learn from from how we do it um now before we wrap up it's been a fascinating conversation but i just wondered if you had a view on performance versus brand that hot potato um does oatly invest a lot in performance do you are you very binary on it are you all for brand not for performance or a bit of both what's your what's your view um yeah it depends on how you define a lot uh i would say generally speaking no we do not. Um, nice. Clearly, I think you know. Uh, if you know the brand, then you know that like brand is 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 sort of paramount for us. Um, and yeah. I mean, look, even even if you look at the origin story, we've only been in the United States for about five or six years. The way that we launched in the United States was not through advertising. It was not through e-commerce, um, which is the path that that many you know smaller newer startup companies sort of take or even bigger companies that are expanding into new markets the way that we launched was by putting the barista product in the hand of baristas to sort of like fuel a recommendation engine that would like just get people trying the product and believing that it was as good as if not better than cow's milk um and that that worked really well for us and still today like we don't have a ton of dependency on on uh paid media um and, and in many ways, those community strategies are still very much the bread and butter of the company. Uh, of course, as we scale and, you know, now obviously like a tremendous share of our businesses in retail and in grocery and in those channels, it makes sense for us to invest more in things like shopper marketing. We also have our own sort of standalone e-commerce business whereby you can yeah. purchase our products for delivery from our website. Um, not necessarily like the largest share of our business or, or a huge change priority, but like in, in those channels, we are obviously a lot more performance focused, but from an ODMC perspective, the name of the game is just, um, be as famous and, and loved and coveted as you can possibly be and sort of lead with your voice. And then the, the, the sales will follow. Um, and and do things that provoke people and do things that get you noticed um, such that you don't have to spend as much money on on paid media.
I love that. I think that will resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, so just um, a, a final question for you, Amanda. What, where do you think this industry, and I guess what I mean here is not the oat milk industry, although that is an interesting question, the advertising industry, <laughs> where do you think we will be in 10 years time? Um, gosh, you really saved the zinger at the end. Um, I hope I can tell you what I hope it looks like. I hope it looks less predominantly male and less predominantly white. Um, I hope that, uh, especially as like the data landscape and the privacy landscape continue to shift, that maybe the silver lining of all of that is that like brands and creators do truly need to return to kind of creativity as the ultimate KPI. Um, and that we start to see a lot more kind of diversity in the work and that we just surprise each other more, um, and, and think differently about what the, what, what, what the role of marketing should be and, and what constitutes great work in terms of the role of marketing. I hope that we start to see, this is already a, a trend that's been playing out for, for years, but that we. We see sort of more models akin to ODMC, not not in the in-house agency sense, but in the sense that the people who are responsible for creating the work have a seat at the table and can influence the products you're developing, the technological solutions you're developing, the commercial strategy, um, and all the different parts that make up a company so that marketing is not just someone as a vehicle for communication, but as like a catalyst for like solutions and systemic change and sustainability and all the all the things that I think great creativity should should influence um and then something will be happening with AI I don't know what I hope that <laughs> God bless us all it it balances yeah. technology and human creativity um write your packets <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 I was with a friend earlier earlier this week having a drink and he was telling me um I'm here. I'm here having this drink and not at home writing my pitch deck for tomorrow because uh, ChatGPT wrote half of my pitch deck, and I was like, "Okay, this is like both terrifying and also kind of amazing." So watch that space, I guess. Cool, Amanda. It's been lovely speaking with you. Great to hear a bit about your journey and your story, and fascinating to learn all about the creative swagger of the ODMC at Oatly. So thanks very much, and yeah. We'll uh, catch you soon, hopefully. Yeah, this has been so fun. You're the best. Thank you. You too. All right. Talk soon. <laughs>